1: Hulk strongest guys. Aloha from Hawaii. Same to you, buddy. What if Everett Golson was the quarterback on the 2017 team? Uh, do you think we would win the Natty? Hmm. Uh, Which version of Everett Golson are we getting? Right. Right. That would be, that would be my question. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I,
2: I mean, I, s- I still think there's well it's that question. And then, I mean, it was just, there's some coaching issues, right. That are still involved right. in that situation. Like, if if you had a if you had a guy that I trusted to be with Everett that you know could push the right buttons and that you had the confidence of like best confident version of Everett Golson then yes I believe but I think there's no guarantees that that's
1: what you're getting obviously in that situation if you got 2012 version of Everett I'd feel a lot better about that than 2014 version of Everett because 2012 version of Everett would run and I wanted a I wanted a running quarterback on that team. But he was a much better passer than Brandon was by that. Even if, even in 2012, he wasn't the passer that that. Or he was a better passer than what Brandon was even in 2012. So I th- I think they had a shot. They would have had a shot, in my opinion. Yes, they would have had a shot. Because in 2012, Everett. I mean, at, I mean, with all due respect to Miami, 2017, they're not Oklahoma. <laughs> they're not Oklahoma 2012. You know. Plus, by that point in time, Everett would have been like 25. So he'd have been very mature. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kevin Carter with a good question, Ryan. Why does Ryan day get more credit than Riley for how good of a coach he is? I feel they both inherited great programs, but haven't quite re- recruited to the same level as their predecessors. Do you have an immediate thought to that? Cause I have a couple of thoughts on that. Well, I I've been on the, I've said it on this podcast before.
2: I think Ryan days is a little bit overrated to be honest. I think he's a really good offensive. mind. I think the, the, Comparisons that you can bring here with Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day is that they're both really good offensive minds in different ways. Obviously they run different systems, but I mean, Ryan day, I mean, we can, we can have a long talk about all the flaws of urban Meyer, right? But urban Meyer didn't exactly leave the cupboard bear for Ryan day. Just like this, like coach Stoops did not leave the cover bear for, for coach Riley. And I I've seen a bunch of lists that have Ryan day rated as a top five coach in college football. And I'm just like, I need to see a lot more, right? Like, I mean, to be a great college football coach, it's not just about calling an offense. You also have to build a program, right? Like you have to maintain and build upon what you've had already. So I i have always struggled with Ryan Day a little bit. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a really good offensive mind. But I think, I think they're both a little overhyped. But great offensive
1: minds, yeah. no doubt. I'm okay with Ryan Day as a top five coach because my answer is all, I have always, I always have the same reaction. When somebody tells me Ryan Day is a top five coach, my initial reaction is always, what? But then they're like, well, name somebody that's better. And I'm like, yeah, I really can't. I mean, I think just that's where we are right now in college football is I don't know if I could name you five guys better than him. Here's the difference between Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley and why I would name, I would put Ryan Day over Lincoln Riley. They both walked into almost identical situations. They were both kind of offensive coaches on really good teams and then stepped in for uh, Hall of Fame coaches. They both stepped into really talented rosters with talented quarterbacks on the roster that transferred in. Everything is the same. I think number two things. Number one, Ohio State has played tougher competition. I think the Big Ten East is stronger than the, the, the uh, Big 12. Number two, Ohio State's teams on the big stage have played significantly better in most instances than Lincoln Riley's teams have. His first playoff team in 2017, I felt, was the best team in the country that year. And the reason they lost was his inability to get that team to play any kind of defense. It was not a high-scoring Georgia team, and they gave up 54 points. Now, granted, it went to overtime, but they gave up over 40 in regulation. And, And that's been his downfall. Number two, they got progressively worse the next year with Kyler Murray. They lost by 11. The and, and, and my thing is like, you want to talk about Brian Kelly and all his flaws. If you give Brian Kelly, Kyler Murray in 2018, Notre Dame wins the national championship. Just full stop with all of the flaws that I constantly point out about Brian Kelly. You give him Kyler Murray with that Notre Dame team and that defense. They, they win a national championship. And Brian Kelly's got a statue, right? Um. <laughs> I mean you I don't know if you agree or disagree with that, but here's the second thing. The third time they made the playoff was one of was the most embarrassing playoff loss the team has ever had. LSU legitimately could have scored over 80 points that game if they wanted to. Maybe more. I mean, that was one of the most like this. Like that was almost like disrespectful to the game, how bad they got. It wasn't like, it ended up being like 63 to 28.
2: It it was a video game, man. It was a video game day for LSU. They could, they could do no wrong at that. (laughs) They was right.
1: I mean, it was a, it was a great offense an incredibly Mm -hmm. well-coached offense against a a coach who puts zero value on defense. Yep. And I think Ryan day has done a bad job of getting a good defense at Ohio state, but I don't think it's because he doesn't want one. I just don't think he's figured out how to do it yet. Yeah. But that game, it was 49-14 to 14 at halftime. Didn't Burrow have like seven touchdowns at half or six? It was, in, some it was insane.
2: Yeah. He had
1: seven touchdown passes, and I do believe they were all – any and, he, and he, he, he accounted for eight touchdowns in that game. <laughs> I believe, yes, that he had a – his rushing touchdown came in the third quarter. So all seven touchdown passes were in the first half. That's insane. I mean – he had touchdown passes of 19, 8, 35, 42, 30, 62, and two yards in that game. Like, that's embarrassing. Ryan Day has not had – he had that kind of loss to Oklahoma, to Alabama. They got blown out by Alabama. But the reality is that came after they had just blown out Clemson. The other game that, that Ryan Day is coaching in the playoff, they took – Ohio, they took Clemson down the wire. They were a an interception in the end zone away from beating Clemson that year. So they've been competitive in most of their playoff games, where Oklahoma has not. So to me, that's why I think Ryan Day's a better coach. And as I've said before, he has to play better. He has to play better teams on a consistent basis than we have seen from from Lincoln Riley. And so that's to me why I don't. I, I that's why I think Lincoln Riley is a very isn't. Not very overrated. He's a great off. Ryan and I were talking about this earlier today Mm -hmm. off the air. He's a brilliant offensive mind. I mean, there is no question about that. I'll never take that away from him. Absolutely brilliant offensive mind. But we have zero evidence that he can build a team. And I always get nervous about coaches who, the further they get away from the, the, the great coach they inherited, the worse they get. Oklahoma only scored 39 points last year, which for them, is a big drop off and and that was including 76 points against western carolina right you take that away and they're not that far from where notre dame was last year in scoring points and that was that was the first team that he's had that was literally not literally just about in 100 just about close to 100% his guys no more Stoops holdovers and those kind of things. And so that always, you know, again, his worst two teams are his most recent two teams. So you're you're not riding on the the, the coattails of Bob Stoops as much anymore. They were at 36 points a game. If you take out the 76 against Western Carolina, Notre Dame was over 35. They were basing Notre Dame's offense last year. Yet they're going to go to USC and be a top four team because they recruited basically the same kind of guys he had at Oklahoma. I mean, mm-hmm. let's not act like Oklahoma didn't have a phenomenal receiving core last year. Marvin Mims doesn't suck. You, you know what I'm saying? And every good defense they played last year basically shut him down. Mm-hmm. So, And he had a way better offensive line he's going to have. So I think there is a lot more credit being given to Lincoln Riley than I think he's deserved. You know, He can prove me wrong at USC. Sure, he can. But I would take Ryan Day. And plus... You know, I I know some may disagree with me, but I think Ryan Day's a better guy than Lincoln Riley. You know, I talked to some people around Ohio State. You know, he 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 can be a dick to people. I've been told that aren't part of the program. But I talked to people around that program. He cares about his kids. He does right by the kids. He 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 it forces his coaches to like, hey, let's make sure these kids are going to class. We want to make sure that they're getting an education, all that kind of stuff. And I respect that. Yeah. You know, they're, they're no Notre Dame, and they spend their academic prowess. But the fact is, I do think he cares about his kids. And everything I've ever been told is that he cares about his kids. I think Lincoln Riley cares about Lincoln Riley. That's what I, mm-hmm. that's what I think Lincoln Riley cares about. I agree. And so that's why I would what, take Ryan Day over Lincoln Riley.
2: Western Carolina, you know their their nickname? Their team nickname? Aren't they
1: the Catamounts?
2: Catamounts, good call, yeah. good
1: call. That's uh, It's so unique, it's just awesome. I don't even know what a Catamount
2: is. I don't know either, it, but it's like the, uh, the Chanticleers of Coastal Carolina. It's very unique, and I love yeah. it. I also know they're a a directional Carolina team's
1: got some, some jacked up (laughs) nicknames.
0: Yep. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: J.P. Bulesfeld, do you think that C.J. Williams is much less likely to get meaningful playing time for USC this year? Yeah. Yeah, he's, he gonna I don't play? think he's going to see the field.
2: Is bro. he going to play? I mean, they, they have – um, Kyle Ford is going to be a redshirt junior on that team and has barely played, and now he's got Mario Williams and all yeah. those dudes in front Brendan of him now. Rice, Brendan Rice, Jordan Yeah, he's not
1: going to play. Yeah. No. Uh, he, I really think part of the reason that they took him was insurance and to make sure he didn't go to Notre Dame. I think that's why they took him. Lincoln Riley staff. I think the previous staff really wanted CJ. I think the new staff just wanted to make sure Notre Dame didn't get him, mm-hmm. and just wanted him in case they couldn't get the transfers. But yeah, that's that's kind of kind of
2: because they still have they still have an, a couple younger receivers that are coming back too on top of the transfers they got. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's
1: it's very unlikely that CJ gets much yeah. playing time this year. Notre Dame two one six four. How much does a quarterback being able to run the way Buckner does open up the passing game and the run game? Run game as in the running back run game. Well, the latter, Ryan, we've talked about before. And that is, is it's hard to account for a running back in the between the tackles runs when you also have to worry about the quarterback getting out on the perimeter. And if you want examples, go back and watch the 2017 season. Even though Notre Dame could barely throw the football that year, teams were still, you'd still see Josh Adams. I was like, why does Josh Adams run? I've had people, how does Josh, is the line that good that Josh Adams has has these wide open holes and, in, you know, for like seventy-yard touchdowns, and I'm like, well, yes and no. The line is elite, which allows him to get through that first level, but they're not down there blocking safeties fifteen yards down the field, right? That's happening because the safeties are going this way and that way to try to defend Brandon Wimbush's ability to run football, <laughs> and and so that's what that's what turns twenty-yard gains into sixty-yard gains is when you have to count for that. I've, you know, you go look at the USC game. I've, I've pointed this out before. The and we played this on the show, but you know, Josh Adams goes for an 80-yard touchdown. If he wants to play, the backside linebacker, the safety, and the and the overhang guy are all running towards Brandon Wimbush. And Josh Adams just goes. You know, Alex bars, just takes the, the tackle, throws him into the a gap. He cuts right behind Alex Barrs, and then bam, he's off to the races. You if could, Jack you could Collins, also, you could also just watch last year when Tyler Buckner was in the game a whole lot. To <laughs> be honest, there you go. Even yeah. when he was, you knew he was going to run the ball, it would still open up opportunities. So run game wise absolutely makes sense. Pass game wise it's a little different deal. And and I would I would say yes and no, Ryan, and I want to get your thoughts on this. The no is that your passing game is going to thrive if you have a good passer at quarterback. Period. Whether it it makes it does it open it up more if you have a kid that can throw absolutely it does. But it doesn't it doesn't do it automatically, and I think again, 2017 is a great example because if your quarterback can't hit the open receivers, it doesn't really open anything up. Your quarterback still got to be able to throw. I think it makes it. I would. I would not say. I would not say it makes it better, but I like the way he said it, Brian or Ryan. He, it does it open up the pass game? Mm-hmm. That I could say definitely. If it. If the question was, does it make the pass game better? I'd say sort of. But there's a lot more to it than that. But when I talk, when I when I think open up, I think it means I take it as, and perhaps I'm wrong on this. I take that as you're going to hit more post routes over the top or deep drags over the top because the safeties are coming down to play the quarterback run. That so more maybe more big plays because the quarterback can run. That's how I took it, Ryan. What is I know we agree on the latter part. Mm What's your what are your thoughts on having a quarterback like Buckner opening up the passing game?
2: I think the one of the biggest things that Buckner brings to you is that when an offense can dictate what type of coverage they're going to see or they have some understanding of what they're going to see from a coverage perspective, it makes things a lot easier. And when you're a quarterback with the running ability that Tyler Buckner has, it's hard to play a lot of man-to-man coverage, man. Like if you're turning your back to a kid like that, he is just going to chew you up all day. So I think you're going to see a lot more. And I thought you saw it against Virginia Tech, honestly, Brian. Like the second half adjustment for me was like they said, like, we need to go to a lot more zone and kind of trap coverages and do all those types of things. But I think that that helps you in a way because you can understand what's coming to you. It makes it a little more predictable from a defensive side. So I think that's what running the running game from the quarterback or just running threat of the quarterback can bring to you is the fact that you're a defense, I think, gets a lot more predictable in that sense because there's just some things coverage-wise that you're not feeling really comfortable about doing. And then maybe it's even maybe we have to keep a, a running a, a linebacker in to spy, and, and that obviously takes a defender away from where typically he'd be in coverage. And I, I think you can just kind of predict what coverages are
1: coming co- coming, if that makes sense.
3: Yep,
1: agree. Marky e. Stewart, the Super Chat. Mark, thank you very much for that. He says, came on late. What's the latest on receiver recruiting? So, Ryan, we're just going to – all we're going to say about Rodney Gallagher right now is that things are trending in an opposite direction. Mm-hmm. And so just beyond Gallagher with th- th- things trending away, I believe yep. Mark is a member of the message boards. So you can check that out. But kind of where do things stand with, with the rest of the board in, in, based on the latest? Because I know you've been talking to – even before the news last night, you had you had talked to great house recently we talked to joshua manning we've been talking to a lot of these kids so what is the latest with no names receiver recruiting
2: yeah no it's a great question obviously with everything that's happening mark and i'll say that i also have a piece that's going to be coming out on irish breakdown soon i kind of went through a little bit of the wide receiver board just to you know in case obviously things are trending away with gallagher like it seems there's guys that we still feel very good about that are on the board i mean Jaden great house is one that brian just said out of Westlake, texas i I think, and if you were here earlier in the show, I think we both gave around an, an eight as far as how we, how confident we feel about that one. I think they're in a great spot with him. And I think, honestly, out of what the board looks like, Brian, I don't know if you agree with this. I think, well, I, I think you may, because we talked about it a little bit, but Jaden Greathouse may be the best slot receiver, maybe potentially on the board with the guys that are left, because a lot of them profile more to outside guys. And Greathouse also profiles to be an outside guy, but I think he has... Some I think he has a skill set that could fit somewhat inside, at least on a a small basis as a slot receiver. So he's a guy that's on the board. They feel really good about him mentioned in this article. Also, obviously, you have Braylon James that's already committed out of Texas as well. But uh, Ronan Hannafin is a guy that we this Irish breakdown staff has been a big fan of for a while now. He's out of Massachusetts, long athletic kid, six foot three, has been we've been told that he's been in the four fours um, as, as a 40 yard dash type of kid. So he's long and he's explosive. He's a guy that things felt really good where they were dating back to like January, March, even, you know, you know, first couple months of the, of the, of the year. And then the more he's kind of kept things open, he started to get, he started to get interest from Ohio state, Alabama, Oklahoma, USC, those offers started coming in. So Don't feel as great about where that one is anymore, but I still think that Notre Dame is in a good spot with Ronan Hannafin. It's about, you know, kind of reminding of why he was so high at the men sometimes. I know on July 3rd, we're going to get some clarification, obviously on Rico Flores Jr., who is out of Folsom High School in California. He's also scheduled to have his first uh, visit to Notre Dame next month in June. He's a guy that I think could profile to a little bit in the slot, a little bit outside. He's just a really solid all-around player in general, in my opinion. I don't think there's any, like, standout trait per se, but I think he catches the ball well. Solid athlete, good route runner. Like, there's just kind of check boxes with that. So those are the most likely guys. That's kind of what the board looks like as far as the guys that we feel good about where Notre Dame stands with them. And then I threw out a couple guys just – we talk a lot about Tyler Williams. I think somebody asked a question about Tyler Williams somewhere in this chat. Out of Lakeland, Florida. Look, Tyler Williams is a really talented player. I think he's ultimately going to be a tough player to get out of SEC country. But right now, we've been told that there's some interest on his end. But until he makes his way up to, to Notre Dame, I I just I can't jump on that bandwagon yet, man. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I would love them to be in a good position with Tyler Williams because his upside is through the roof. But... He's a player to monitor, but not a player that I feel great about right now. And the last guy that's super interesting I threw in there was Lee Summit wide receiver Joshua Manning. He's 6'3", 190, really good long jumper in track and field. He's over a 22-foot long jumper, so he's explosive. He's athletic. He brings a lot of the same qualities that I just talked about with Tyler Williams. He's long and explosive, not quite as fast as Tyler Williams, but I think there's tremendous upside there. So he's a guy to definitely keep an eye on, but he didn't get his offer until – um, I think May. So he's a guy that hasn't been on the board for very long here, but Manning is a very talented player. So a couple of sleepers there to keep an eye on, but ultimately I think the, the first priorities in this class are Jaden Greathouse, Rico Flores, and fit, and trying to get back in good graces with Ronan Hannafin right now.
3: Agree.
1: It's a good one. And I, I just had to bring this up. This was really funny. So, you know, we we have said before, we invite fans from other programs to come on our shows. We love it. Just be respectful. Don't be an idiot and for the most part that's always been the case. We've had some LSU fans come in here and act like knuckleheads, but we have we've had USC fans come in here be great. Alabama fan, we have not seen him in a while but Ladarius Martin used to come in here a lot and now we've got Antoine Johnson who is a Michigan fan. And uh, Antoine you're really messing things up because as my guy Beat 99 Pro BK1 says Antoine challenges my view of Michigan fans. Stop it Antoine. I don't want to think Michigan fans can be level-headed level-headed Realistic and intelligent because Antoine is, is providing some really good chat into there. So I just wanted to get that out there because uh, look, we 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 like to talk ball here, and you know if you're another fan, a fan of another program and you come in here and be respectful and and be talk ball, you don't have to agree with us. You can still think Michigan would beat Notre Dame every single time. Uh, but just talk ball. And that's what I love about Antoine is is he he comes in here and talks ball. And Ladarius is that way too. And we appreciate that very, very much. Alex Udell says Brian and Vince, isn't it true that Dairy Queen is greater than Culver's? That is not true. I don't know who told you that. Whoever told you that is lying, Alex. That is not accurate or true at all. I've never been to uh, Culver's. Is it good? Really good. Yeah, I it's think good. so. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's like with anything, you gotta go to a place that's actually, you know, has good management and they take care of their food and do all that stuff. But in, yes, when it's done right, I I like it. The one thing I like more about Dairy Queen is I do like Dairy Queen's chicken nuggets, and I'm and I'm more of an ice cream cone guy, and so I think their ice cream cones are good. But just from a pure pure food standpoint, uh, I think that uh, I think that Culver's is definitely better than Dairy Queen. There's no question about it, in my view. Shane O'Shea asked this question, right? I'd be curious to get your thoughts, and then I'll share mine. After Saban leaves Alabama, do you think the program will remain one of the best? They were blue blood, but didn't have much success the 20 years before Saban. I would say the 15 years before Saban, because within the 20 years before he arrived in 2007, they had won a title. Gene Stallings won a title in, what was it, 92? Right? So they had won yeah. a title in that 20-year frame, and they had some really good teams during the Gene Stallings era. The two previous coaches, Mike Bois and uh, Mike Shula, weren't good. And mm-hmm. obviously they had kind of fallen off a little bit at the end of Stallings compared to what they were at the beginning, but – you know they they won a title in the '90s, Alabama right. did, mm-hmm. and embarrassed the U in doing it. <laughs> right <laughs> now it was the Dennis Erickson U, so it's a little different than you know beating a Jimmy Johnson or Howard Schnellenberger U. But you know they still won it. But his point is correct: the two previous coaches were essentially failures. So Ryan, to your yep. to Shane's question, if Saban leaves Bama, do you think they will remain one of the best programs?
2: It depends on who the next coach is. I mean, I need to have a little bit of clarification on who the next coach is. I mean, if it's if you're bringing Mike Shula back, then no, it's it's not going to last too long. I think it's it could be one of those situations where it is a Ryan Day Lincoln Riley thing that we just talked about. Right? They're left in a good situation. Maybe they're good for a couple years after that, but eventually things are going to start to deteriorate a little bit or go in the opposite direction. But it really depends on. Who the next coach is. So it's hard to answer. I'll say it's going to be hard to stay up to the same standard that Coach Saban has obviously brought the, the team to in recent years. So I'll say they'll take a slight step back, most likely, dependent upon you know who's who's the next head coach, regardless of who the next head coach is. But it's very
1: dependent on who the next head coach is. So it's hard to say. I would say he's correct in that answer. My answer would be is I think my answer would be no. They won't remain an elite program because to your point, Ryan. I don't see a, a, a guy that's an up-and-coming coach or an established coach wanting that job. You don't ever want to be the guy that replaces the guy, right? Urban Meyer didn't replace Steve Spurger. He replaced Ron Zook, right? Technically, Urban Meyer didn't replace Jim Trestle. He replaced Luke Fickle, right, because there was that year in between. So I don't I don't think you want to be the guy that replaces the guy if it's been a long-term thing. Like, Like replacing Jimmy Johnson at Miami wasn't that big of a deal. Jimmy Johnson wasn't there that long, right? He was there like, what, five, six years at the most? And, and so you you just don't want to be that guy that replaces the guy. And, and there's a lot of pressure there and coaches make so much money at other schools that it's kind of like, do I really want that headache? You know, where, yeah, I can make eight men a year there, but then I get fired in three years where I can make three or four million here and be here for 10 years or five, you know, 10, 15 years. And, you know, it may, it may, it's just a little, it's not for everybody. I think they're going to have a really tough time replacing Saban because honestly, my thought is I don't think Saban's – I I was. I thought Saban was going to walk away the next title he won, and then he won a title in 2020 and didn't walk away. So I, I don't know if he's going to leave anytime soon, and I just have a feeling that eventually they're going to start to kind of go down, and and it, it's not going to be the same attractive program it was if he doesn't. Like if if he doesn't walk away in the next three, four years, I don't think Alabama's going to be as good. and, and no, They're still going to be very good, but it's not quite as good. So I, I think that factors into it as well, but I just don't see them getting the kind of coaches. Look, I like people, oh, Dabo, I don't see Dabo. If Dabo's not willing to get into the things that, that's happening right now at Clemson, you think he's going to come to Bama and do that? Heck no. And if he doesn't, the boosters will run him out of town, right? So I, I don't think they're going to remain that way because I don't think that they're going to get a coach who wants to replace Saban. That's, that's my two cents. I could be wrong, and Ryan is correct. If they do hire that guy, then they'll keep winning. Because it has a lot of resources. Because the the secret is, Ryan, it, it's like every great program has a chance to be great if you hire the right guy, and every every program makes the wrong hires, you know, and it from at t- from time to time. Notre Dame's made some bad hires, and they've made some good hires. The good hires panned out, and the bad hires didn't. It's not it's not rocket science, right? And Alabama tried to replace Gene Stallings with a, a former assistant that doesn't work out a ton you know, a long time assistant, it's pretty. doesn't often work out a ton. Sometimes it does Worked out for Dabo. Right. But, uh, it was actually pretty funny. I was, I was, I was on, um, I was watching an old Clemson game from like Oh four. I think it was what it was, what it was. And I see Chancey Stuckey's getting talked to by Tommy Bowden on the bench. Cause Chancey Stuckey was a player then. And right behind him is Dabo. Who was the, re- I forget, you know, the receivers coach. So It was like, it was kind of funny to see that, but, uh, but yeah, it was pretty interesting. But I, that's that's my two cents. It's a good answer, Ryan. Tyler Evans, in your opinion, what state are uh, is it hard for Notre Dame to recruit recruit kids from? I think, I think to me, the toughest state for Notre Dame to to recruit volume is probably Florida and Ohio. Okay, I think you're not going to consistently beat Ohio State when they're good for most of the kids you're going to get a kid or two and that's what you all you need to do get a couple like get a Liam Eikenberg and a Tommy Kramer in one class then a year or two later you get another kid and you get a Brennan Vernon but you're just not going to go in there and beat them for Brennan Vernon and Malik Hartford and Josh Padilla and you know what I mean like you're just you're not going to go in there last year beat them for you know CJ Hicks and you know start naming off all the lines and Sonny Styles and you're just not going to do that yeah. Right. You're just not going to consistently do that. Most of the yep. kids are going to Ohio. What Notre Dame used to do is they'd get enough of those Catholic school kids. They could beat them for them. And, and then, you know, have enough to where you had an impact. I still think Flor getting the high level kids from Florida is still, is still very challenging
2: consistently because,
1: consistently do it
2: because of the number of programs and mean the SEC country and also the quality of high schools. It was a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I think
1: it's about, there's so many good programs close by the key on Keely's don't come along very often. Right. I mean, we're talking about Richard young. You even said the kid sounds like a Notre Dame kid, but you know, when was the last time Notre Dame signed two five-star kids from Florida in the same class, right? It, it's been a long time, I would imagine. You know, if it's ever happened. So, I just I think that's still a hard place, I, and it's it's a terrible education system. I mean, so many of those kids just, and there's a lot of high school coaches down there. Not all, but there's a, there's enough to where it impacts that are there just to coach football. They don't really care about getting kids eligible or making sure kids are getting an education. Or if they are, if they do care about that, it's only to make sure they're eligible to play for them. Not necessarily, you know, taking a, you know, can I, well, I sit my stud running back because he didn't go to class this week because I have a bigger, important message to, to send to him than just, can we win this game on Friday night with or without you? Of course we can. Mm-hmm. But I care more about you developing as a young man than I do about this. Well, okay. I do that. And then I get fired. Right. I mean, that that's the reality of it. Yep. So I think that it's it's all those factors, Ryan. It's the weather it's it's the so many schools that you'd have to think of all the big time programs you have to bypass mm-hmm. to go from Tampa, Florida to you know to to South Bend, Indiana. and so you're gonna get those kids every now and then you're you know like they would have got a look Notre Dame would have got another Berkeley prep kid in the twenty eighteen class if Harry Heestand doesn't leave Nicholas Pettiferre was going to sign with Notre Dame if Harry Heestand doesn't leave. Right, So you can get those kids. You're just not going to do it consistently, and you're not going to do it in a volume standpoint. So I think that would be my – I mean, Texas, I would have added to that before, but I never felt Texas was hard for Notre Dame. They just didn't try in Notre Dame. Notre Dame didn't really try in Texas as much.
2: Do you, do you, do you think California might be a little tougher with the USC
1: dynamic now or not as much? Because no, they've worry. always gotten kids out of it. I mean, right. when Charlie was in Notre Dame and, and USC was in its heyday – Notre Dame still went out there and beat them for kids, beat them for Manti, you know, who was uh, from Hawaii, beat them, you know, f- beat them for Jimmy Clausen, beat them for Dane Chris, beat them for Sierra Wood. You know, they, they beat them for plenty of West coast kids. Not all of them are from California to your point, but like, you know, beat them for Ethan Johnson. So they, Notre Dame has always been able to go out to California. Now, I don't know if the dynamics are changing now compared to what they've been. That could be the case, uh, but that'll make it interesting, Ryan. that's a, that's a really good question that I don't, Based on history, I would say no, but I am very curious to see how the dynamics of California are changing because you've seen a lot of kids leave the state. That's why there's more kids in Arizona now. There's even more kids in Texas now. I think that factors into it as well. So I'm very curious to see how that plays out. And how does NIL factor into that? cuz before it's like you just you know it's it's about the education and USC is actually a good school but you know I, I do I want to get away some kids may say yeah, I love the west coast other kids may I mean if you've been in California lately it's like yeah I want to get away from this you know I mean it just depends on where a kids coming from and, and what his likes and dislikes are so I'm very curious how that plays out right that's a very good question like I'm going to say no yeah with an asterisk of we haven't seen Notre Dame really hit California hard. I think the talent level in California has gone way down, way down compared to what it used to be. I mean, if you think about it, in the last NFL draft, California I think was third in total number of players produced, right? You've seen that graphic. Texas was number one with 32. Georgia was next with 30. California was third with 22. And then Florida had 30. I like to use the Electoral College <laughs> as an example to kind of prove my point of – of um you know, of of kind of size. And if you look at the the electoral college from just 2020, right, the last presidential election, California had 55 electoral votes. Texas has 38. Florida has, well, like 20, 29. That's almost twice as many elect. And, And the reason I point that out is because that's determined by population. Sure. Texas, yeah. California is a significantly bigger state than even Texas population wise. Yet Texas continues to produce more and more and more kids than California because you're just not seeing as many big time. Like, can you name a single offensive lineman from California in this recruiting class? No, I can't. I can't. 10 years just, ago, you'd have been able to name this kid, this kid, this kid, this kid, this kid. This kid. It would have been no problem. Yeah. Right. And so I think that that's changed the dynamic of California as well.
2: That's weird. Yeah, I didn't. Wow. Yeah, that's in, I, I literally can't think of any right now. I, I don't think modern day or St. John Bosco have anybody right in this
1: class. Not, I, I mean, none, none in the 23 class or some younger right. kids. Sure. But like, I don't I can't think of off the top of my head more than a, a one or two, maybe really good front seven guys in this mm-hmm. class. Yeah, you know, they're still doing the skill. But, you know, are, so are those kids moving? Are they going to Utah? Are they going to Colorado? Are they going to Texas? I, I think going somewhere. Going somewhere. Sure. Connor O'Doherty says if they if they all wanted to come, would we Notre Dame take all three of uh, Jeremiah Love, Jay Lamar and Richard Young? I'd say yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I think that you look Lamar and Young are the
2: true runners in that group. And then you give love a chance to play it too. But he's also an athlete in case it doesn't work out. So yeah, that's right. I mean, the question was yesterday, or a few days ago, after Richard Young made his official after he set up his official visit. The question is, do you take Richard Young if it pushes it to three backs? And the answer is yes. Yes, you do. Mm -hmm. So you can think of it as loving Lamar, the class, and then Richard Young is just too good to not say no to. Like, just think of it that way because it he is. I mean, the, make no mistake about it. Whether he wants to, ends up in Notre Dame or not, he is the best running back in this class, in my opinion. Like, he mm-hmm. is a special runner. It's him so, or Cedric
1: Baxter are the two for me. I, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Those are the two for me. And it just depends on what type of back you're looking for. But yeah, Richard Young's in that conference. And it's a short conversation. I've had people. Uh, there's a kid from Texas that I've had people mention to me as a guy that's in that conversation. For me, it's those two. I, I, I just, it, it's those two for sure. There, there's no question about it. Rob Didoff says, Brian, Vince, and Ryan, and when Ryan joins, Tony Rice is my fi- my all-time favorite player. Obviously he would not be the starting quarterback in today's offensive schemes. What position today does, would he play based on his skills? I disagree with you, Rob, because if he was coming out today, there's a chance Notre Dame would be playing against Tony Rice because he'd be at Navy because <laughs> he would be a sick fair. triple option quarterback in, in, for Ed Navy because he has he's a great runner, he makes great reads, and he's got a cannon for an arm, and that's exactly what they needed and they in that offense. So I actually I actually think he might still be playing the triple option or playing because he would either be an Army or Navy in my opinion, maybe even Army. You know, because Jeff Munkin's doing some really, really good things there. So, you know, they have some of the same issues getting there, but they got into Notre Dame. But if he could could have got in with the test score, I I could see him running the option. But to to, to respect your question, Ryan, what position do you think he would be playing in today's game if it wasn't at quarterback? I think he'd be catching passes.
2: Yeah, I, I would say I would say he'd be a pretty damn good slot receiver, in my opinion. Right. Like that's that seems like he probably had the Avery Davis type of this. I mean, he's a better athlete than Avery, but yeah, that would probably be his projection. Right. Quarterback turn slot receiver, whatever. You know, he's a gifted athlete. So get him in space type of player. Right. Mm hmm.
1: Yep. Here we go, Ryan. Uh, Antoine Porsche doses Brian. You and Ryan were talking about a school that Notre Dame hasn't played. That'd be a good home and home to have with. I think Memphis would be a great one. He'd mentioned that in one of our comments the other day. I just don't know what Notre Dame gets out of playing Memphis
3: because I think if bad, you
1: five and right. all that stuff, and, and that's I cool. understand where he's coming from, but like I think playing Tennessee, if you're interested, because I think part of Antoine's thing is this is what he said on the message board or on the uh, the chat, the chat from the show that we did on this you know, there's talent in Memphis, right? I don't know if there's a ton of it, but I don't know if playing against Memphis ha- is as impactful for you against the best players in Memphis as playing in Tennessee would. That's just my sense because yeah. I don't see Memphis beating Tennessee for a lot of kids at Tennessee once if Tennessee's even decent. So, But I, I get the premise, and that's kind of where I'm coming from with my Tennessee rivalry. Mm-hmm. I just don't think Memphis does that for you. I mean, it, no one's going to care if Notre Dame played Memphis and, and beat them. It's a lose-lose yeah. lose for you if you're Notre Dame. If you lose to them, you're crushed. Yeah. If you beat them, it's like, well, of course you did. They're Memphis, right? right. Which I think is – I mean, I think Memphis is a good football program, but still, mm-hmm. you just don't get the same. You don't get say boom for your uh, – uh, Bang for your buck. Bang for your buck. It's a boom yeah. for your buck. That sound right. That sound
2: right. <laughs> yeah. Tennessee is an interesting one because they're also one of the teams that are throwing out all the NIL money, right? So it would be nice mm-hmm. to – have that matchup and show that doesn't matter fully, right? It's still about right. developing. You can players go there, get and money,
1: and then we're going to beat right. your brains in, exactly. and you're going to get picked lower than you would here. You know, that, that, because here's the thing you pitch like, look, we're producing kids at a higher level. The money you're going to make there compared to what you're going to make here is less than what your signing bonus difference is going to be if you come play for us. Yeah. I hope Notre Dame's having that conversation. Here's sure. what our guys have made in the NFL draft the last five, six years. Here's what Tennessee guys have, because it is way more than a couple million dollars. Yes. it's in the tens of millions of dollars, if not more. When mm-hmm. you look at the contracts that their names players have signed in the last ten years, I mean there there's been stretches where Tennessee has gone multiple drafts without a guy being picked. I mean, like, I'm right on that, right? Aren't I right? I I, I'm so. pretty sure. I mean, I got all these w- great websites. That like, this, it's that's one thing. I, the internet sucks in some ways, but in other ways, it's phenomenal uh, because you can just quickly things are just at the tip of your hand. Tennessee. Yes, they didn't have a kid picked in 15 or 16. (laughs) And then they didn't have a kid picked in 19. And this past year, they had five. They've, They've had five, six, but most years it's like two. Like in 2014, they had a kid picked in round one. The next two were like six and six. You know, 2021, they had two guys picked in three and six, two and seven, three, six, and six. You know, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not a ton of guys.
2: I'll say thing. that I'll say this off uh, just completely off, off the cuff here. Memphis has some great uniforms, though. So they are very visually. Some appealing. of their combinations. I've oh, I love them me. all, man.
1: Yeah. Those baby blues or the blacks. They're, they're all nice. It's the, the helmet amazing. for me. I love their yeah. uniforms and their helmets. I don't I don't like the, the blue helmet, the bangle stripes. Oh, I kind of like, like the tra- like I'm a traditionalist, man. I, I, I like things like I like the block M with the tiger on. I think that's really hot. I think the gray helmet when they go gray helmet with the blue and the blue. I dig that. I I like the gray. I like
2: the gray uniforms, too. I feel
1: like I I think they're sharp. Now, see the gray. If I was going to go all gray, then I'd be okay going a blue helmet. But I'd still go. I'd just make the sticker gray with the tiger as opposed to the the bangle thing. I just don't I think I don't like the bangle stripes. I think the only way it works for me is with the actual Cincinnati Bengals, because I think there's such a contrast in the black and the orange that it makes sense. I don't Mm -hmm. think gray and blue contrast enough or white and blue contrast enough to really make that make a lot of sense to me it's fair it's fair yep good question Antoine 99 problems BK1 without Gallagher what does a realistic dream four receiver class look like now on and on a scale of one to ten how confident are you in each one we've already kind of done the confidence level just let's talk about what the four would be I mean, the
2: realistic class, I would say, is Braylon James, Jaden Greathouse, Ronan Hannafin, and Rico Flores now. That's what I would say is the realistic class. The dream class is that Tyler Williams is somewhere in that conversation somehow, and we don't know if that's a plausible thing or not. But if you can get in with a guy like a Tyler Williams or even a – I would really consider Joshua Manning in this class, to be honest with you, so Mm – but right now I would say realistic is James, Greathouse, Flores, and Hannafin. I think makes a lot of sense.
1: Here's an interesting one, Ryan, that I'll post to you. Would you agree with me that Rico Flores has the higher floor than Joshua Manning? Yes. Would yeah. you also agree with me that Joshua Manning has a higher ceiling than Rico Flores? Much higher ceiling. Okay. Yeah. We're on uh-huh. the same page then. No doubt yeah. about it. That's why I like I, I like I think you almost kind of have to take regal Flores because you you look you need at least one or two guys in this class that can help you out as a freshman whether it's mm-hmm. to just push their end of the field or to uh, to to you know to just Build if down. an injury happens something like yeah, that right right right. so uh, I definitely I definitely uh, th- think that there's a need for that but that's the reason I really like Joshua Manning because I think Joshua Manning's a kid with a very high ceiling. So yep. um yeah.
2: You he know, returns cakes
1: for them too, man. He yeah. he can he can scoot a little bit. Yep, he's interesting. No doubt. I just wanted to share something. I just got a message somebody wants to kill some rumors. Apparently, uh there's some rumors that Braylon James is going to be taking more visits. I just got a message from somebody that would know that said uh it's not happening and he is uh not he's not 100% sold to Notre Dame. He is 110% solid to Notre Dame. So I just want to make sure that if there are any rumors out there about that, any clickbait stuff, I want to let y'all know that that is uh, nothing to put any stock in. I haven't heard that yet, but it doesn't surprise me because there's a lot of clickbait stuff out there going on. Irish Mayall. if the big programs break away and form a super league, does Notre Dame get an invite? And if so, what are the chances they accept? The first part is a no brainer. Yes. That's there's, mm-hmm. there's no doubt. Will they accept the invite? I think it depends on – I think yes. I think Father Jenkins said some things, but I don't think Father Jenkins is going to be at Notre Dame when that decision gets made. I don't see any way in which Notre Dame walks away from big-time college football. I, I just th- – there, there's too many boosters and board members and and people with positions of power that would say, you're not going to commit financial suicide for this for this institution, you know. I don't know, maybe that's a little bit too strong, but Notre Dame depends a lot on, especially from an athletic standpoint, on the money that the football program generates. And if Notre Dame is all of a sudden playing nothing but group of five schools, I don't don't think that continues. The TV deal's gone, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that would change, in my opinion, and I just don't see them doing that. It's a nice threat, and I wouldn't mind them using it to say, hey, look, we're going to make sure we do some things right. But as long as it's not a direct pay-for-play situation, then I think Notre Dame joins. I think that's mm-hmm. the big concern that Notre Dame has is the pay-for-play thing. I think it's problematic. Gabe Wee says Notre Dame winning against USC this year is up to Harry Heastan and now Washington, in my opinion. It, I'd say it's a little bit more complicated than that, but yeah, that's where it starts. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of like the conversation we had yesterday, Ryan. If Notre Dame's gonna win that game, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to play very well in the trenches. That's There's no I, doubt. That's where your clear
2: advantage is, right? Like that's where, right. well, I shouldn't say your. That is where your biggest advantage is, without a doubt, is in the trenches. So yeah, that's where. I think that's one of those things like everyone talks about. Well, Quentin Nelson against USC a few years ago, right? Like that, everyone mm-hmm. kind of gets flashes of that. Like that's what the situation has to be, in my opinion. You have to get them to tap out, and that's. I think that's the best, clearest way to getting there is to uh, get a Quentin Nelson versus a Green again.
1: Hmm. Yep. All right, let's get down to some more here. Okay, Connor O'Doherty. Who do you guys think is Notre Dame's biggest rival? I will always see a lot of debate on social media, and I personally think it's USC with no question. I w- What would the debate be? Who else would it be? Michigan? They, yeah, people would say Michigan. I don't even play yeah. Michigan.
2: Yeah, like, anymore, I right know.
1: Yep. Like, and, and even, I mean, they went decades without playing Michigan because Michigan mm-hmm. didn't want to play them. So I don't, and I know I'm in the minority on this. I don't view Michigan as a rival of Notre Dame's, and I grew up with it being a rival. I, I don't think it's been a rivalry for a long time, just because, just I just maybe that's my disdain for Michigan. But I always valued the Michigan State game more than the Michigan game from a rivalry standpoint. Now the Michigan games always had much bigger, like the Michigan game was always big to me because, well, growing up because Michigan was always good. And beating them always gave you a good win and a chance to play for a title, right? And then right. losing to them, you know, obviously would hurt. But as far as just a rival, because a rivalry to me is not just a hatred. I think there's got to be some level of respect involved, at least from a Notre Dame standpoint. And Michigan State has always had Notre Dame's back. And when Notre Dame was trying to make runs and join the Big Ten way back in the day, Michigan State was one of the team, you know, the the non-anti-Catholics programs that tried to help Notre Dame get involved. You know, and and if you know Notre Michigan's history from a anti Catholic and race standpoint, you may not be a big Michigan fan. If we're just going to be honest about that, but uh, I would say I would say Na- I would say Navy and, and Michigan. I mean, Navy and USC are Notre Dame's biggest rivals, in my opinion. I, I don't view yeah. Michigan as a rival. When was the last and they played? Nineteen and eighteen, and then before that, it was what fourteen, something like that. Yeah. You know, I just. I don't view it and and I like what Chief it's, Brody said. I really hate Michigan. That's all. <laughs> love the show. Agree with you completely. <laughs> I, I, do. I agree.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I completely agree with you in the sense that like it has to be for a rivalry, it has to be a consistent thing, right? Like right. continuous, and it's, it hasn't been continuous in Michigan. I, mean, I will say though, that is definitely my most hated team that Notre Dame plays, right. but it's not the biggest rivalry anymore. It's just not right.
1: Yeah, I that that I agree with, Ryan. That we agree wholeheartedly. I don't I don't dislike anyone more than I dislike Michigan. And Antoine, I'm not going to lie, Antoine is jacking up my little bit because I've always kind of joked on here and made fun of Michigan fans because I've never met an intelligent Michigan fan. But Antoine is kind of messing that up for us. So he is kind of kind of messing up our flow. Speaking of Antoine, he has a question that I think a lot of non-Notre Dame fans come at me with this a lot. And so we'll address it. I have a question. So do the new scheduling situation that's coming up, do you think this will squeeze Notre Dame into joining a conference? I don't. The only, the only thing that could – in my opinion, force Notre Dame into a conference beyond just absurd amounts of money, like Notre Dame's getting 15 million from the TV deal, and every other school's getting like 16, 17, 80 million, which is a, to me a bit of a ways away, because that would require Notre Dame to go down and those programs to go way, way up. Mm-hmm. It, it is if the if the conferences just started having like 10, 11 game conference schedules. And every team could only have like one non-conference or two non-conference games. I think that would be the only thing that could remotely even get Notre Dame to consider that. But even then, you'd still have some teams that'd be willing to play Notre Dame. There's a lot of Power Five teams that aren't big time programs that would be dying to play Notre Dame to get money, in a, in a home and home, and and, and exposure—not just money, but exposure. So even then, I still think Notre Dame would—it would be—it would, be, would take a lot. I I don't think. Like, I think there's a thought of non-Notre Dame fans, like there's something people can do to squeeze Notre Dame to a conference. And I think the COVID year should have pretty much squashed all that because there were multiple conferences that reached out to Notre Dame saying, hey, come play with us. You know, like, look, Notre Dame still, a lot of non-Notre Dame fans don't want to hear this. But there's a reason why it was NCAA and Notre Dame's as the two logos on NCAA football back in the day. Notre Dame is still a very much a power broker in college football because what they don't realize is you don't have to be a great program to be a power broker because power brokers are the people that wield the dollars. And Notre Dame still very much throws a lot of weight around financially. And that's just always going to be true, in my opinion. So I don't think that, that – like, did you you remember Ryan when when the when the ACC brought Michigan in or Notre Dame in and like people like David Cutcliffe and Pat Narduzzi were whining and crying about it and the national media was like they should tell Notre Dame to pound sand yeah they should sacrifice millions of dollars in getting a chance to have Notre Dame in their conference and all that that brings so to help your ego and anti Notre Dame stands. like that's that's dumb right but that showed that look there's a ton of people that would love to play them. You know, so, um, that I don't, I just yeah. don't see that. I think it would just have to be where there's just no room to schedule non conferences, would be the only thing that could really impact that, Ryan, in my opinion.
2: It's so weird that the anti Notre Dame people out there, man, it's like the, Notre Dame hasn't even been like super relevant from a championship perspective mm-hmm. in a while, and they still hate Notre Dame for whatever reason. It's really weird, and I hate, I, hate is a strong word. I dislike this, the conference talk, to be honest, because I, I just mm-hmm. think that there's way more positives to being it, to being independent than being in a conference for Notre Dame. I just think there's mm-hmm. way more. And I always hear people that are not, you know, anti Notre Dame people that are like, oh, they have you make them join a conference, make them we make them. You don't have that right. power like that's their right. like that's their decision. So they yeah, don't, yeah, I don't, I they don't like
1: really it. understand how powerful Notre Dame is. I think that's the problem. And they think, well, they're, they, they think, well, they haven't been relevant on the field for as a title contender in a long time. So why does that? Then no one should care. It's not about that. It's still about the dollar. And it's still about exposure. And, you know, that's why every year that Notre Dame is good and they play a big time game, it's always like one of the two most watched games because you've got all the people that want to watch that game to hate Notre Dame. And that makes them money. They like your hatred makes them money, it makes ESPN money, it makes NBC money, it makes Notre Dame money. And you don't have the the power um to, to force Notre Dame to do anything Notre Dame doesn't <laughs> want to do. Right? I mean, you're so far away from that. I like I said, the only thing that could change that is the money gets so absurd that Notre Dame just can't afford to say no to it. Uh, or as far as being forced or the like I said, the scheduling is such that they, they just can't afford the Like, they, 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 Hey, we're going to go to a 11 plus one schedule, or we're getting rid of the 12th games because we're going to have a conference championships. So we're going 10 plus one. I think that would be the only thing. If all the power five conferences adopted that that would be the only thing that could remotely start pushing, in my opinion, pushing Notre Dame into that is my is is would be my thoughts on that ryan yep very good question antoine mm-hmm. here's what here's a good one from 99 problems of bk1 if notre dame got my both micah tees and micah bell who would be the better receiver especially in terms of fit with respect to the rest of the anticipated 2023 receiver class bell with the speed is intriguing to me it's a interesting comparison because Micah Bell plays running back for his high school, right? So you
2: don't see him do too much in the passing game. Micah Tease is the one that is the wide receiver in his offense. I, so naturally, like I'd be more, I'd be more satisfied with the projection for, for Micah Tease just because I've seen him do it. I would. I mean, I agree though. Ninety nine problems. Like I would love to see Micah Bell in, in, as a slot option with that speed. Like I think that that's a really imposing proposition but I, I just really haven't seen him catch the ball much you know so it's it's mm-hmm. kind of a tougher projection so I say out of those two you Michael Bell if one of them had to play offense which we'll see what happens uh, I would say Michael Bell stays a corner and Micah Tease is the slot
1: in my opinion I like Mike Tease I, I mean I'm with you Ryan the the speed intrigues me but I think He's more of a running back. We haven't seen him play receiver. I think Mike is a natural receiver. I think he's, I think he's got higher upside on defense. I think he's a really. Think about Mike atiz He's a really smart football player on both sides of the ball, so he can play a lot of different positions. And I think Micah Bell can too. I'm not saying he's not smart. I'm just focusing on Micah Tease. He's he just has in, instincts on both sides of the ball. I just think his size speed combination fits better on defense, whether it's as, as a corner, a slot, a safety, wherever. I just think he's a natural corner, and he does everything he does on, on defense is just natural instinct and talent. He doesn't; he's not as as coached up as well on that side of the balls as, as he is on offense. So I think he would be a kid that could make a, a quick transition to offense. I just think his ceiling is higher on the other. I think both of their ceilings are higher on defense, for different reasons. Micah Bell, just because you know a five eleven kid that can run that fast, that's as skinny as he is, is not a running back. Right. Maybe he could be a receiver. But I just think a kid like that is a is a real I mean, because he's a kid that if the technique and the instincts are ever able to match the speed, he's an elite player. Mm -hmm. And you just don't have kids. There's so many kids nowadays that do want to play offense that you're not getting as many kids like that at corner, which is why I think corners become such a premium position in the NFL draft, in my opinion. And one of these days I'm going to have to get Ryan's Ryan's take on that, because I think that would be very, very, very interesting no no question
3: My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.
1: All right, here we go. So somebody gave some context on that. Uh, Irish Natty within three years. The Braylon James rumors are from butthurt Texas fans. I've seen a lot of great houses coming to UT. And the Braylon James recruitment is not over yet. I'll just say this. Uh, So yeah, that, that would make a lot of sense. That wouldn't surprise me at all, but he's, uh, I don't think either one of those things are true. All right, let's get down to some more questions here. D troll Hunter. Sorry. We did. Did we get to my not recruiting, but mailbag question who wins in a pickup game of Ryan and Vince or Brian and Sean football, basketball, baseball. Oh my gosh. Uh, Baseball. That's me. Football, that's me. Basketball, I've never seen any of those guys play basketball. Uh, I would not be, I would not win because I couldn't make it to a game of five. I'm so out of shape. I don't think I could last for a game of five. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if Sean has game. I don't know if Vince has game. I've never seen any of those guys play basketball, so I really can't. I can't answer that one. Jay Henry, who's faster, Jeremiah uh, Love or Micah Bell? Micah Bell, track wise, is faster. I would argue he's also more explosive uh, on the field, but I think I think Jeremiah Love is still an ascending player uh, that that will continue to get better and play faster and those kind of things. So we'll see how that one, how that one pans out. 99 prospects BK one says I know you said that they are somewhat similar prospects, but how would you compare and contrast Tyler Williams and Joshua Manning traits ceiling floor? Mm-hmm. Ryan, for me, I think Tyler Williams has a higher ceiling and a higher floor. I, I think he's just a significantly better player in, in just about every regard. I do think similarly, they are similar style of players though. I I do agree with that. So traits, very similar ceiling and floor to me, both, both higher for Tyler Williams.
2: Yeah. I mean, so I I think of it at this way, right? Tyler Williams is about six, 385 pounds. Joshua Manning's about six, 390 pounds. So they're basically the same size. They have similar length. They're both explosive football players. They both have speed as well. I think Tyler just – everything about his speed explosiveness is just like a click higher than a guy like a Joshua Manning. So I think he's just a little bit of a higher quality athlete than him, to be honest with you. And the one thing that we don't talk enough about with Tyler Williams is Tyler Williams hasn't been playing wide receiver very long, right? Like he's a kid that was playing quarterback, so – He's still learning the position, which gives you even more like, wow, how good can this kid be? So Mm -hmm. I think stylistically they're very similar because they're long athletic kids who have speed to burn. But I think Tyler Williams is just maybe just a a cut above as far as an athlete.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I love this. Michael Parks, chicken wings, Mountain Dew, and Irish breakdown on a sunny day. Don't get much better than this. I'm actually going to be having the same thing. We're not having a sunny day, but I got, uh, so, my birthday was, was it last week now. Yeah, it was last week. And uh, I got, you know, signed up for those different clubs. And so I had some free chicken wings. So, I got some last night when I was out running errands. I had to go buy a new lawnmower and I had to go to the Midwest Gun Exchange to get some things there and had to go pick up some stuff from Angela. So, I stopped, and got us dinner. I got her her favorite Chinese place and I got some free buffalo wings. So, I got, I'm going to have those. I got, I had half of them last night and have some more today. So, and of course, I'm always going to be drinking Mountain Dew. So, Michael, we're going to be sharing similar meal today, buddy. There's no doubt I'm sharing similar meal. Blaine Tiller thinks Tony Rice would still be a quarterback. I, and That's I think fair. the premise would be because if he was growing up in today's game, and I think this is a very, very fair point. Mm-hmm. If he was growing up in today's game, he'd have been throwing from the time he was eight years old. He'd have been right. at camps. He'd have been seven on sevens. Like he would have developed better as a passer because he had a great arm. But you know, growing up he was an option quarterback his whole life. So I, I think that's a very fair point. And I've heard this mentioned before. And I've and I've made this argument with like when people try to say, Well, you know, so and so is better than John Elway, and I'm like, based on what? And they're like, Well, look at the numbers. And I'm like, Well, that's a silly argument. Like, <laughs> you know, like it's a different era, it's a different game. Right. And you know, and and what would John Elway do if in today's era if of of the game and it's just you know so i it's, it's a really fair point blaine and i and i think it deserves some thought and conversation because i i do think that was i think the premise how i took the premise of the question however was more of like the version that we got at notre dame what is that guy playing right to me you're taking it in a much deeper v- way which i think is a really good conversation mm-hmm. but less provable for me because we know what tony was I think you can make a theoretical case that if he grew up in today's day, and I've said this about basketball players too, right? Is like if basketball play, like, oh, you know, this guy's better than that guy. Why? Well, look how well he shoots threes. Well, if Michael Jordan grew up in the same era that Steph Curry grew up, and he'd be shooting a lot of three pointers. He grew up in an era where when Michael was really young, there wasn't a three point line. The three point right. line didn't come to the NBA to like what, 79, 80, somewhere like so, around there, right? Like, like that, yeah. You know, so like, think about, same thing with Larry Bird. When Larry Bird was growing up, the three-pointer wasn't a thing, mm-hmm. you know? So is this a different era. When you grow up and the threes are what they are, of course you're going to learn to shoot three-pointers. It's just the game has changed. But if Michael Jordan was growing up and he was a 25-year-old now, he'd have grown up shooting three-pointers his whole life. And guess what? Michael Jordan could have been a good at anything he did on a basketball court, right? And and that's the thing is, is uh, you look at how his game changed. You look at what Michael Jordan was for the second three titles, and you look mm-hmm. at what Michael Jordan was in the 80s, completely different player. Why? Because right. his game changed, it evolved with the time, and as he matured as a player. So I, I would I would I would say I would say that there's merit to that. That's I think big picture. I think there's merit to what Blaine is saying, Ryan.
2: Do you remember do you remember how how big was Tony Rice? Do you remember? Like,
1: was like six two. Oh, 6'2"? Yeah, I think so. I'll have to look. Yeah. But yeah, he he was a good sized guy. I'm not yeah, I mean, that up. I think I mean th- like th- there's
2: there's no reason then, if if he's a kid that has a strong arm, and you would assume that he'd grow up in a different way, as far as you know, th- throwing more consistently, maybe working with quarterback coaches, all that type of stuff. If he's six good athlete and has an arm, there's no reason to think that he can't in this era now, right? I mean, I mean, what would be the difference between him and a guy like a Lamar Jackson or you know Deshaun Watson or somebody like that? I mean, he's a A bigger athlete, so yeah, I I don't see there's I don't I don't don't see like what would be the setback to him playing quarterback or not in today's era.
1: I'm actually looking that up. I actually have a a book (laughs) here that has the 1988 for the 1988 Notre Dame season, and so I'm trying to look up the roster and to see what Tony's height was. But I believe he was 6'2, but I don't want to be inaccurate on that. So he was listed at 6'1, 198 on the 1988 roster, so big enough, so close. Close, Mm -hmm. close. All right. Antoine trying to get back on my good graces. Elway could run, and he had the strongest arm I've ever seen. Antoine, I don't know if you've heard this because you're still someone new to our channel, but I grew up a big John Elway fan. So that's a – do you comment I agree with?
2: Serious question, though. Do you think it's a close comparison between him and Josh Allen as far as just arm strength? Because Allen is probably the strongest I've ever seen in person. I
1: think John Elway had a stronger arm 25 and in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh is the closest thing I've seen to it. I, look, I said Pat Mahomes is the closest thing I've seen to John Elway, but yeah. Pat's not the athlete John Elway was.
2: No, he's a good when athlete. Josh, a this athlete. last
1: two years of Josh Allen is the closest I've seen. Like, but Pat was the closest I've seen to John Elway. But they were different types of players. Patrick's more of a, pa- a pocket guy. John Elway was more of a, a an athlete during his career.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I think Josh Allen's very comparable to John Elway in Saloplay. Now, John was a more advanced. I think maybe it had to come out of college more advanced. I mean, John Elway had set the pack. This is the funny thing: It's like I'm trying to look John Elway's career stats. Right? I'm trying to just let me look this up. John Elway college stats. He in his career passed for at Stanford in four years at Stanford passed for nine thousand three hundred forty nine yards. He ended his career at Stanford as the all time leader in the Pac twelve in passing yards. He only went over three thousand yards once. It was a different era right? But he was a more advanced player. He just played in a crap system with the Broncos. He would have been a much more effective passer uh, had he played in a better system. But I think the 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 powerful arm plus the combination of like John it was a legitimate runner. Like he wasn't just a, like he could run. Like he, people, if you ever, one of the best things ESPN ever did, like, and they've done some great the One thing I always praise ESPN for is the, the the documentaries, the shows on on historical things, the 30 for 30s. But the, the 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 1983 draft show they did from it's called I think from Elway to Marino, was one of the best things I've ever done. Now part of that is my bias towards John Elway, but it's great history. One of the things they talk about is people have always said like John Elway wasn't really gonna go play baseball, and everybody's like, No, actually, he was. John Elway played one summer in the New York Yankees A League. And he batted Mm -hmm. like 400. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was a great baseball player. And the Yankees genuinely wanted him. He was an elite athlete. And what a lot of people, you know, see the older John Elway that, I mean, he was an older John Elway that had like multiple knee surgeries, right, because of all the running. But he he was a dynamic athlete. And I think Josh Allen is like the closest thing ever. Where It could be third nine. And you've got to be worried about him breaking it. I mean, there were times I've seen John Elway step up, break a tackle, and then take off running and convert a third nine with his legs. And then, you know, two minutes left, and he does the same thing. He steps, take off running, and then you come up, and then it dumps it over your head. Like I think of the, the game where they beat the Oilers in the playoffs where he starts to scramble early like early on the drive. and he, he takes off running, and he, like, just dips out of bounds right at the first down marker. And then the same thing happens. I don't know if it was the next series or if it was like another play and the Oilers came up and he just dumps it over their head. Vance Johnson catches it wide open, runs for like 30, 40 yards and sets up a David Treadwell field goal. And they beat the Oilers and Warren Moon in the playoffs, right? Like he just, you couldn't, there was, there weren't answers for him other than just your team had to be way better than his team, which is what happened in the Super Bowls all those years. You know what I mean? And so I think Josh Allen's like that because to me, a great quarterback has to be a guy that can put a team on his shoulders and say, I'm going to make everybody around me better. And I think that's what separates like Patrick Mahomes. And that's what separates the Josh Allen's is they can do that. And, and John Elway could do that. And, and, and I think some other great, and I don't want to say names, but I think some other great quarterbacks that people view as contemporaries of John Elway, I think put up great numbers, but didn't necessarily make everybody around them better from a winning standpoint. That's just my, that's my stance on that. So it's a very interesting take for sure. But you get me talking about John Elway, we may go another, <laughs> you know, another hour. You need to start so, a John Elway podcast. There you go. There you go. It'd be a little weird and creepy, but I, I'm not going to lie. Like, you know me, Ryan, I don't do like the fanboy thing, but yes, when I covered the NFL draft in 20 and towards the 2020 drafts, it was like right before COVID hit. There's no doubt. I have a picture of me at the draft with John Elway behind me in the podium. So you could see me like there at John Elway's thing. And, I remember I asked him a question and I was like, oh, my gosh. And then I was walking around the corner and he walked around the corner and I was about to bump into him. He said, like, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me, like real politely. And I was like, call my dad's like, John Elway, just talk to me. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. That was one of the few times I get into like that that little fanboy, like, oh, my gosh, John Elway, just talked to me. I just walked by John Elway. <laughs> you know, it was pretty cool. I was pretty fired up about that. Met Brady Quinn for the first time that weekend as well. Really nice, really nice, really polite did, did you call your dad about that one too? No. Uh-uh. <laughs> nope. Uh I called my wife because she likes Brady Quinn. I don't know why. I'm not sure why she, my wife likes Brady Quinn. We mm. named our first dog after Brady Quinn. I, I'm not sure. I don't know what that is. I said sarcastically. Uh Chad Delpreet, I'd like to see Notre Dame play one game per year inside the state of Georgia. I don't care if it's versus Georgia, Georgia Tech, or if they use their ACC connections to get a Chick-fil-A kickoff game. That's actually something I, I don't – I think – I don't know if I do it every year, but like, you know, over a 10 year period, like play four or five games in the state of Georgia. I think there's Chad, I, I kind of like that. Cause again, it doesn't have to be Georgia or Georgia tech. It could be them sometimes, you know, maybe you play, uh, you schedule a game against, you know, Florida and you play it in Atlanta or you schedule an sec, opponent right. to playing in Atlanta or an ACC team and play it in Atlanta. That'd be very interesting. Or maybe something that's something you could work out with the ACC. Hey, look, Let's convert one, you know. Let's let's add an ACC game every couple years in Atlanta, where you know one of your teams comes down and plays us, because that'd be good for the ACC too. Get to play Notre Dame in Georgia, where they're all trying to recruit. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting, Chad. I dig that. Yeah, I dig that, Ryan. That's yeah.
2: No, no, it's it's a cool it's a cool um, idea. I like it too. I think just using a neutral site location in SEC country, just in general, kind of intrigues me. To be honest, I think that's very interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. That's. Mm Because, I mean, that could just be a location. It doesn't even have to be against the same opponent, like you're saying, each and every year, right? Like, you can use that Mm -hmm. just to your advantage in that way. Yep, no
1: doubt. I I love this comment from Antoine. He says, John Elway was a modern quarterback before modern quarterbacks even existed. Everything these guys are doing now, Elway did it back then. Hey, and look, we've gone through a stretch of – there was a long period of time where, like, all these great quarterbacks in college were wearing number seven. I mean, I'm not saying I was a great quarterback, but, I mean, I had that same sentiment but yeah, I mean, he, he, I think there's a lot, there's a lot to that. There's a lot to that. And, and by modern quarterback, I think he's referring to the, the Josh Allen's the Patrick Mahomes the, the Lamar Jackson's the Justin Herbert's not the Aaron Rodgers's, the Tom Brady's that it's, you know, like trade, trade C
2: quarterbacks. Yeah. Right. right.
1: Like there's an era where like everybody wanted that pocket Tom Brady ish quarterback and Aaron Rodgers And now it's like, man, but if you have a quarterback that can do some of these things and move around and make plays with his legs, boy, that brings so much more value. Like, yeah, okay, we saw that. Saw that a lot out in Mile High back in the 80s and 90s. I'm just saying, you know, so I think he's pointing. But that's why I say football is cyclical, right? Like, it always comes around. And then in 20 years, it's going to be 15 years, going to be back to you want the pocket passer because the game is going to have changed in some way, rules-wise or whatever the case may be, uh, to get to that point. So Oh, 100%. Jet, Chad also had a great comment. He says, Michigan is the enemy, USC is the rival. There's a big difference. I think, like in a serious comment, I think that I think there's I think that would be true of Michigan's side too. I I don't know if Michigan fans necessarily view Notre Dame as a rival. And if they do, it's their third. It's behind Ohio State and Michigan State. It's more of Ohio State's their rival. They hate may hate them, but it's or Michigan, Notre Dame's an enemy. You just despise everything about them. Same thing for Notre Dame feeling about Michigan. There's no doubt about it. Lucas Chapman asks, "Do you think Utah would be a good replacement for USC?
2: What to play it on a year basis? A
1: relatively regular? Yeah, I don't think so. Uh,
2: no, no, not a regular. I wouldn't mind playing Utah every once in a while. I respect yeah. their program; it's a good
1: program. So I wouldn't mind playing them every once in a blue well, moon. I, I but just, not a kinda, not a regular thing. I kind of like playing teams that you you know, or not playing teams that you're undefeated against. You know what I mean? So uh, you know, I think they're one to know against Utah. Right? Are they? Are they? That's interesting." I think so. I can't,
2: I can't remember them ever playing Utah. Uh, 2010. 2010.
1: Yeah. The, that was uh, – they were four and five at the time. Utah came in, ranked – they just lost to – uh, they had just lost to, um, I think, t- TCU. Because remember, they were both in the uh, the Mountain West at the time. Yeah. It was the game – Harrison Smith made one of the sickest picks I've seen at Notre Dame guy make that game. They won like 28-10 uh, or something like that. I forget what the final score was. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was 2010. It was one of Tommy Reese's first starts. Matter of fact, it was like, I think it was right after. It might've been his first start. Now that I think about it, because he came in, Dane got hurt against Tulsa and I, I'm going to look this up. Cause I think that was Tommy's first. It was just only his first or second start. Just give me a second. It was Tommy's first start. It was the first career start for Tommy Reese. 28 to three was a score because Wow. Dane it was two weeks before because they had a bye week after Tulsa. If you remember, Dane Chris got hurt against Tulsa and that and they lost that game. That dropped Notre Dame to four and five. And their season was not looking good. They played Utah, who at the time was ranked like 15th, and Notre Dame beat them. And like they had a blocked punt. They returned for a touchdown. I think Robert Blant had a big pick that game, but Harrison Smith, they were running deep drag route, and Harrison Smith was in trail position. And when the ball was thrown, he went from behind the guy to cut the guy off and pick the guy. It was like, oh my gosh, that's a ridiculous interception. But uh, yeah, that was um, that was a yeah. I remember that game. And I'll say something else. There was a lot of Utah fans at that game. That was one of the nicest, classiest group of fans that ever visit Notre Dame's campus. They were so polite. They were like joining Notre Dame tailgates and having fun and talking ball. And they would talk trash, but it was like it was like in a fun you know, Hey, you're four and five, you know, it was like, you know, you guys aren't that good and we're ranked, but they were great people. Like I really Mm -hmm. enjoyed getting to know the Utah people. We had a bunch because my parents were in town. My uncle came in town. We had like a big tailgate. It was my first year covering Notre Dame like full time. And we had a really big tailgate that weekend. And uh, it was really great getting to meet Utah fans. Really nice people really enjoyed those, those folks for sure. And, yeah, yeah they're, absolutely. You, you ever
2: want to see a rivalry that's heated? Wait, BYU, uh, Utah rivalry? Man, they get what fans get. Doesn't I mean
1: what's the they call it the holy war, right? Holy like, war, yeah. Or it know, was, I don't know if they got rid of it, but yeah, it was. But when the word war is a part of your rivalry, it's not going to be a fun, you know, yeah. slap hands kind of thing. There's no, I,
2: I remember, that. uh, I think it was either. I think it was Zach Wilson's freshman or his sophomore year. He was talking a lot of trash. And I remember Utah, like, let him have it on Twitter, Mm -hmm. like, for a year after that game. Like, whoa,
1: man. They hated BYU so much. It was crazy. Yep. Yep. Let's see here. And here we go. Last one, I believe. 99 problems became one. Predict the final score of the Alabama versus Texas a- Texan A&M game this season. I'm putting the over under at 90 points, and I don't expect Texan a m to get more than six. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm I'm very curious to see how that one pans out. It's There's gonna no be ugly. Matter. It's
2: gonna be like 38 to 14 or something. 38 17. Yeah. It's gonna be ugly. It's, it's not gonna, gonna be. Great. An,
1: yeah, it's not. It's really not. I I, I don't. I don't see that one being overly competitive, and and I don't think it was going to be all that competitive to begin with. Like, I, it's funny. I so in the article I wrote, Rand. I don't know if you had a chance to read it or not yet, but it was the so ESPN updated their preseason top twenty five, and they put USC from twelfth to fourth because they have Jordan Addison now. And which I'm like, you guys know that all these years they've sucked. They've always had good receivers. Like that's not like who's like man, you want to see that I'm good enough for you know enough good they receivers. Were, they were t-
2: they were talking about when they had they literally in the recent future recent past excuse me had Drake London, Michael Pittman Jr. and Amon Ross, St. Brown on the same and same Tyler line. Vaughn's who was right. a good and Tyler player got
1: hurt. If he doesn't right. get hurt as a senior. I think he you know he had a pretty bad injury as a senior, and and they had I mean go look at see some of the receivers that that. Uh, that Sam Darnold was throwing to in 2017. It wasn't a bunch of bums. No. Uh, so I, I find it hilarious, but I had to get in there, my little shade of who they had in the top 10 last year at the same time. <laughs> oh no. Be- yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was fun because last year here's here's they had Texas A&M in the top 10. The point was I kind of threw some shade at not only USC at four, but why is A&M fifth? Explain that to me. What has Texas A&M done? To, to, to warrant being a top five team, they were placing their entire defensive line. They're replacing their defensive coordinator. They have a quarterback battle, right? They got a guy from USC or LSU, I mean, who they, he, you know, he was a nice player, but it's not like they went and got Caleb Williams or, you know, Joe Burrow, the, 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 right. the LSU version of Joe Burrow or Justin Fields, right? It's Max Johnson. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I just had to point out, like, what their top ten was last. They had, A&M sixth la- they had A&M ranked sixth last year, and they went eight and four. And they went eight and four, and they lost double, at double figures but to Arkansas and Ole Miss. They lost at home to seven and six Mississippi State, and then their last game of the year they lost to LSU. Think about that. They lost to LSU. Mm-hmm. Last year they had North Carolina who went six and seven. Iowa State who went seven and six, USC went four and eight, and Indiana who went two and ten were all part of ESPN's preseason top ten last year. And yeah. I think all except maybe, I mean, the only team of that group that I felt maybe warranted being a potential preseason top 10 team to me was Iowa State. And and because of their schedule and and we learned. I said last year, Ryan, we would we were going to learn a lot about Matt Cap, Matt Campbell last year because this is the first time he's been the hunted in the Big Twelve yeah. in, in the Big Twelve, and he didn't handle it well. Mm-hmm. But North Carolina, we always said was overrated. Like they lost a two thousand yard running backs, a thousand yard receiver, their best defensive player from a team that went eight and four, and they're going to jump into the top ten for some crazy reason. Uh, USC was overrated, so it, it's none of it ever made sense. But that's just typical ESPN. But anyway. All right, so that is going to do it, Ryan, for today's show. I appreciate everybody being part of the show today. It was a lot of fun. Uh, appreciate um, appreciate all the feedback. Appreciate the great questions. We are going to try to have a show tomorrow. So that means you need to hit that like button. I think, do we still have Matt? Yes, Matt has it because Mace K is not with us today. It looks like getting his stuff in there uh making sure you like button subscribe share the podcast hit the notification bell and so you never miss an i when ib goes live because we are sean and i are going to try to go live tomorrow we're not it's not finalized i've got some personal things that that may keep us from going live but we're going to try to get back to our saturday shows tomorrow and uh but you're gonna need to, to know because we may go around one o'clock but it's going to depend on uh it's going to we're not going to commitment tomorrow it's not why we're going to go live sean and i are getting back to our saturday show which we had started doing and uh, we're gonna try to do that tomorrow, but it's not a guarantee. But if you hit the like button and the subscribe button and the notification bell, especially the notification bell, then you'll be you'll be you'll be made aware of when we're gonna do a show. So also make sure you sign up for Irishbreakdown.com or I would say boards at Irishbreakdown.com. It's the Irish breakdown message board. You're definitely gonna be part of that. A lot of intel on there, a lot of good stuff on there. And uh, you're, you're not going to regret it at all. So thanks, everybody, for being with us today. Appreciate everybody uh, with the great tons of great questions, tons of great interaction. And uh, appreciate y'all's patience with some of our technical issues that we're working through. We're going to try to get this thing figured out. So have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for being a part of the Irish Breakdown podcast. <laughs>